Hi. Hello. Welcome back to our fifth episode. Yes, in which we're going to be talking about something that has been on everybody's lips for the past weeks. And I would say also on everybody's feed for the last <laughs> weeks and also on ours, because we already made a post about that. So maybe we can say what we're talking about. We're going to be talking about Patagonia and what happened with um, how the company is going to continue running and taking the only true shareholder, which is the planet, into account for the future. Mm -hmm. And from our latest post, we have been pretty positive about that. Like, uh, I think it was just very shocking news in, in a sense, what they, what they just did, no? But I think lately we've been seeing many comments on social media and also from um, people in the business uh, about how this may also be seen in a negative way. Should we then maybe start to explain what's Patagonia and what they did? Yeah, I, I think before drawing out what are the positive and negative things that have happened and that are going to happen with Patagonia, I think it's a good idea to take a step back and to kind of give you guys an overview of what Patagonia has been doing over the years. So the CEO, Yvonne Cuillard, um, calls himself the accidental businessman. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> personally, I find that quite annoying. Yeah. I mean, because, I mean, if you don't want to be a billionaire, there's a bunch of other people that would <laughs> exactly. like to be. And also, like, I'm always asking myself, how can you be an accidental I mean, you can accidentally create or have a great idea, but how come then your company became one of the, I would say, most known and pioneering sustainability while still making so much profit? Yes. I don't know. I feel like you should stop doing that. Yeah. So anyways, um, l let's, let's talk about how Patagonia started off, right? So mm -hmm. Chouinard mm -hmm. um, started off as a rock climbing. He calls himself like a dirtbag rock climber because in his youth, Um, he was part of a rock climbing collective. Mm -hmm. Pretty intense from what I read. Yeah, pretty intense. Like It's... they were eating cat food or something yeah. like that before going climbing. Yeah. I was like, wow, <laughs> okay. And, uh, and so he developed a tool that was able to... Um, Not ruin the rock. So he began selling hand-forged mountain climbing gear in the early 60s. And through his company that was called Shrinad Equipment at the start. And he worked alone selling his gear until 65, when then he decided to partner up with Tom Frost, which was another member of the Climbing Collective, mm -hmm. to improve his, his, uh, his products and address the ever-growing demand. And so in uh, 1973, uh, he founded Great Pacific Iron Works, uh, which was the Patagonia's first store in a former meat packing plant in California. <laughs> And ever since the company has kept growing mm -hmm. um, to reach the size of the multi-billion dollar enterprise that it is nowadays. And their focus, I would say, throughout the year has always been to, of course, be a responsible business. Um, so they've always been um, trying to reduce their impact they had on, their, on the planet. But I would say they were very um, environment focused rather than social fo socially focused, which can be seen as a limitation because, I mean, if you are in the fashion industry, we know that when it comes to sustainability um, and fairness, social is the main problem. I mean, I wouldn't say the main, maybe, 
but it's not just the environmental part of it, you know, like, of course, we know that fashion, the fashion industry is polluting and th th that's a problem, but the social part, it's also important. And I think Patagonia has been a pioneer uh, on the environmental side, but not necessarily on the social one. Because we know that, for example, in terms of supply chain, they're still supplying in um, countries which are where the cost of labor is lower. And they are, of course, mentioning that uh, if they find out that in their supply chain there are some um, illegal actions taken, such as child labor or um, poor working conditions, they don't look away and they will change the suppliers. And that's something that they have been doing. Um, but they are still not the company which produces locally in California uh, without exploiting the benefits of a global economy. So that's something I think we should bear in mind we're talking about them. Yeah, but um, I, I totally agree with you 100%. Um, Patagonia isn't perfect. Um, and I don't think it wants to be perceived as being the perfect company by any means. Mm -hmm. But I do think that Patagonia at least is among the few, co the few companies today that are willing to have that conversation and open the Definitely. kind of box and kind of go there and understand if there is some issue, how mm -hmm. they can address it. And they have been doing so ever since their foundation. And mm -hmm. I guess after a lifelong of commitment to the environmental cause specifically, um, Schwinard, the CEO, also found himself wondering what the future of the company might look like in the coming, in, in, in the years to come, right? Mm -hmm. Of course. Also because it was a family business, basically, like such a big company, but still privately owned by the family. So I guess for him, it's really like, how am I going to ensure that what we have been doing until now can still be done in the future? And this is the news that has been kind of storming in all of our feeds in the past month or so. And it's because to solve this billion dollar question, literally, <laughs> yeah. Srinard um, decided to split the company in two different entities. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a good moment to kind of take a step back and kind of explain more in detail what has happened within um, the corporation, within the Patagonia Corporation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So basically, as you said, um, he had to find a way to make sure, but first of all, he wanted to change, let's say, shareholders. He just wanted to have the planet as his unique shareholder. So with, what they decided to do uh, together with his team was to find a way to make sure that all the money made, we're going to say it in simple terms because we're not corporate <laughs> finance experts, so I'm going to talk about money. Um, so all the money made by the company would go to fight the climate cause. But yes. how can you do that? Um, so the way they, they want to ensure that, because it's something which it's just they just created, is through giving 98% um, of the dividends to a um, collective uh, called Old Fast Collective, so a charitable entity, which would then use this money to, f to fight the climate change through, of course, supporting different uh, projects and uh, no-profits, uh, while the other 2% will go to the Patagonia Perpetual Purpose Trust, uh, which will seal all the voting rights. Um, but what does this mean? The Patagonia Perpetual Purpose Trust, which sounds like a mouthful, mm -hmm. actually is an additional board, in a sense, that oversees both the corporation and also instructs the company to distribute the excess profit. So we're not talking about how the company makes money here, right? We're just mm -hmm. talking about how the excess money from each year gets invested yeah, also, into sustainable yeah, because, environmental like, issues. Yeah, also because part of it is going to be reinvested in the business. 
exactly. because of course Patagonia need to exist it's not just gonna do a huge donation and try to fight climate change Patagonia exactly. needs, needs to, to still be the company which is making profit and of course part of it is gonna be reinvested in the company for product innovation and to make sure that the company can still be as successful and as profitable as it has been until now Exactly, and I think it's called Patagonia Perpetual Purpose Trust for a reason exactly, because they could have invested in a one-time donation and it would have been the end of it. Instead, they decided mm-hmm. to create a structure that would ensure continuous uh, purpose and environmental impact. So I think what's important for people out there that are listening to us mm-hmm. to understand is that we have two Two, act, two different actors that are taking over Patagonia right now. Mm-hmm. One is the trust, which has zero dividend rights, which means that it gets no money. They have no dividend rights, but they have the whole of the voting rights. Mm-hmm. So they have the power to decide 100%, but they don't have any financial interest. Mm-hmm. Whilst the other component is the Holdfast Collective, which is a charitable in- entity, which has no mm-hmm. voting rights, Mm-hmm. But it has, it gets the whole financial benefits from um, the excess money that Patagonia, the excess revenue that Patagonia mm-hmm. makes every year. Okay, that sounds great. Um, but I would say, let's see how people have been reacting. Um, I selected a few comments from uh, Twitter because there has been kind of a backlash towards uh, this decision after the wave of uh, positivity and compliments that the company received. Um, I'm going to mention one, um, user X <laughs> mentions, uh, can shopping at Patagonia now be considered a tax write-off as a charitable donation? Or, uh, I can select another one, um, the Patagonia CEO who gave away his company interests to help save the planet also smartly moved into a foundation, saving his family from a takeover, nearly 1 billion in personal taxes and future inheritance taxes. I'd say he checks the boxes of both Dems and Republicans. Smart. Um, I don't know if we want to go into others, but... I think we kind of see where these comments are going and I would say they're screaming they just did it for tax benefits. Uh, What do we think about that? Uh, People are largely debating the tax exemption aspect of the Patagonia corporate decision. And yeah, I think it's mostly because with this clever move, uh, Srinad avoided to pay inheritance taxes and also by devoting the 98% of the company to... Um, a collective, he was able to pay way less taxes that he was, than he was supposed mm-hmm. to. Also, the trust, which is the, 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 the part of the, of the transition which will, be paid the tax, which will be paying taxes, only has the 2%. 2% of the stuff. So yeah. overall, the, this whole deal will cost the $3 billion company only $17.5 million in terms of taxes. What's mm-hmm. your take on that? I don't know, like, I see the point of, of course, like, there, there is for sure an advantage in terms of taxes, and it's not something that can be hidden, and I don't think Patagonia is hiding it. Um, but what I think is that they had the choice to choose between becoming, uh, now I'm going to be super, not super technical, but a C3 or C4 type of um, no-profit uh, with the collective, and they decided to go for the C4 uh, legal form, let's say, which is the one that does not allow no-profits to um, deduct their donations from their income tax. So, like, of course, there was a benefit. Like, even though they chose C4, I totally see that there was still an interest in not paying... They're still paying less taxes than they would if they wouldn't have had a collective. 
But the fact that they chose this form already shows that they just didn't do it for that as many other corporate American um, companies. And also this form C4, it's really um, to make sure that political action is taken. So what okay, a so can a do with this form um, is advocate and let's say support or sympathize with um, political uh, political ideologies. Can yeah. I say that? Yeah. yeah, and endorse political candidates. Exactly. So I think it's it's a good moment to take a quick step back, mm-hmm. a tiny, let's call it yeah. a tiny step back, and explain what a C3 and a C4 is. So we're talking about the 501 IRS American legislation for tax exemptions and mm-hmm. um, the Hold Fast Collective. So the entity that will ensure that environmental action is taken f- with the funds of Patagonia. Um, is a 501c4 uh, non-profit organization, which means that uh, it is a social welfare group and that can advocate for causes and proposition and can endorse specific candidates politically. Mm-hmm. And I think this is an important digression to take because it also lifts the second point of critique that we've been hearing a lot around towards Patagonia, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's hasn't only been a corporate decision but it also has been in some way a political decision yeah so exactly so this shows that's why i was saying i don't think they just did it for tax benefits i think this really shows how they want to make climate um the climate emergency a priority uh also on the political agenda and they want to become a party which is involved in the political agenda and again on that i don't know is is what do we think about that is that positive or not I don't know. I don't know. Personally, I think this could have many backlashes on the long term um, because the Hold Fast Collective is to invest in, in impact initiatives, environmental impact initiatives, only if certain prerequisites are respected in terms of ideology and purpose. And so in some way, it's like saying, I'll give you all my money, but then you have to low key agree with me in terms of um, ideology, lifestyle, and that kind of subtly implies political ideology, and in mm-hmm. some way, I think that is a threat to democracy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see your point. Uh, what what I like, and it's what you also mentioned before about Patagonia, is the fact they they're always open for the conversation, so they're not hiding the fact that they want to be a political player. So I don't see it as a way to, you know, try to just be a powerful actor and try to advocate for their interests but it's really like we have the knowledge we have been doing that for years and we want to advocate for it because we think our governments are not doing it and i totally see the point about democracy also because if you are paying less taxes in a sense you're not really supporting you know the democracy in itself no which is based on uh redistributing and social welfare but you you think you're better off deciding how to spend the money to fight for example, for the for the climate. Exactly. Um, so I think the question really is so would is so much power and so much to be concentrated in only few actors and should the private be making these kind of decisions? Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I don't know. Like, don't you think that governments have been failing until now? Like the reason why there's a climate emergency, it's because action is not being taken. And I do think it's um, it's great <laughs> that there are private uh, companies which are trying to be par- be players in that because we always say, of course, the company's only interest is profit. 
but they're actually trying to enter the game and Patagonia is doing it, uh, forcing it maybe a bit, but like, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. Like, no, I agree with you in the sense that uh, at the end of the day, politics makes a difference. And if companies have the power to influence in some way, they should, especially if they have, it's, it's within their, their purpose, right? Right from the foundation of Patagonia, the mm. environment has been uh, one of the primary missions. Yeah. But my question is, so much leverage, so much power in only one company, it, it, it's, it kind of goes against the whole democratic process. And what you were mentioning before about not paying the taxes, so avoiding tax payment on such a large amount of capital means that somebody else will be paying for yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. And that's, the thing what, is that's that what concerns me most. Because what you say about um, having all this power in one company, I'm not that worried because still is one company like compared to the power the government has is nothing so that doesn't worry me doesn't worry me of course if all companies are going to start to adopt this form yes then we're going to have this type of conversation probably another episode on that uh, but yeah w- what you mentioned of course is tricky because they have the presumption of saying we're not paying taxes to our government i mean we said it's not just for that but yeah they kind of have this presumption of saying we're not paying the taxes to our governments because we don't trust how they've been dealing with the climate crisis until now we think we can do it better on our own yeah, and so, i think so they're deciding big... instead of the government they're, they're saying oh the government doesn't have enough yeah they think they're better off taking decisions and i don't know i mean you're still patagonia you're still selling jackets you're still trying to make a profit yes you're doing it with recycled material you're doing it in an environmental friendly way but you're still a company making profit like it's totally different from uh being a science science uh ah, scientist uh-huh. <laughs> for example or from being a an elected um, politician so yeah i think it's tricky and i think it's very brave and in the end of the day what i really think is that put yourself in the position of shrinad right after dedicating his whole life to this purpose mm-hmm. and as he mentions becoming an accidental businessman and having to the core of the business environmental action i think there weren't many options available on at this very moment so either you sell your company and become public and then god knows what happens with the mission and purpose mm-hmm. you keep it private and you you, you i mean you, you you keep it within your inheritance but then that is no long it's only short term mm-hmm. and how do you actually ensure the long term uh perpetuation of your purpose right mm-hmm. and i think the solution the smart clever solution that was mentioned in the twitter is that Srinad was able to implement i think today is an extremely brave and groundbreaking yeah solution. groundbreaking for sure so in the, the end of course that... there are some negative and positive effects like for example it has been a significant well uh, probably the, the amount of sales of patagonia in, in the in the next three months will Skyrocket yeah exactly and... again this feels also like a marketing move uh, maybe unwanted but for sure they got a huge coverage i think they never got as much coverage as they did with no this. no well, even with the super successful campaign they did don't buy this jacket which of course made um like allowed them to make a lot of sales because i think so many people bought the jacket mm-hmm. just because of how innovative the this campaign was <laughs> um but still like of course there are many benefits for patagonia to do that and why not i mean they're still a business and uh, a business which has been performing super well in terms of sustainability. So why not? Definitely. One, only one thing I'm worried about is how this is going to be interpreted by other companies. I'm a bit scared that 
um, other companies are just going to see all the benefits that Patagonia um, has been getting because of this. So the marketing, of course, the coverage, but also the tax benefits. And they're just going to uh, try badly copy and paste what they did by making maybe a huge donation or even create a collective and just, you know, make huge, huge donations in order to be, you know, like... Uh, to get the same benefits that Patagonia got, but without actually having the same vision yeah, uh, and, and the same intentions of uh, Patagonia. So I think that, that could be a bit, um, I don't know, like I don't know if it's just gonna lead the way towards a nice transition for many businesses or just, you know. Yeah, no, but I, I do think, I, I totally agree with you. That's also something that I have been worried about. Are mm-hmm. all companies going to create a trust and then maybe sell it for more than it was worth after mm-hmm. a while, no? Like previous examples for the electronics uh, manufacturing business that created a fund that then sold for 1.6 billion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so sparing the CEO from paying capital uh, taxes and gaining on the revenue later on. So, but yeah, the, so but, I think this I mean, it is there. a double-edged sword, yeah. I agree with you. But at the same time, I think because of the structure and history of Patagonia, mm-hmm. I think this is a very unique business uh, study case. Yeah. Um, well, I think... I think one important aspect of Patagonia that differentiates it from other companies, despite the environmental purpose to the mm-hmm. core, is the fact that it was a privately uh, owned company, that it didn't open to the market and we it, it didn't go public. It never mm-hmm. really went public. And so it never really had to consider and ponder upon what mm-hmm. different shareholders yeah. views no, no, were. I definitely agree. I think this model is unique. I'm just scared that because not everyone has the same interests as Patagonia had, no? It doesn't have the same ambitions. Some companies may just see the advantage of doing such a... Transition. Yeah. um, Just to get the benefits from the company. And as you said, then ending up selling the trust instead of of just doing a perpetual one. So I think this is an excellent way to end our podcast right now. (laughs) And I think we're going to launch that question to you guys out there. So what is your take on it? Do you think that Patagonia is setting the way for other companies to follow? Or is it just something that only Patagonia can do because they've been one of the best companies in terms of uh, sustainability and in terms of the purpose they had since the beginning? Let us know in the comments. And as always, don't forget to be critical. Ciao! Ciao!